At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I did everything physically on how to get better, but I was never, back then I didn't have a very good understanding of how to deal with failure. Welcome into another episode of From Phenom to the Farm, Baseball America's interview series talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. On today's episode, I was joined by former first-round pick of the Rays in the 2010 draft, Josh Saleh, who's currently leading the Atlantic League in home runs after a six-plus-year hiatus from pro ball. His first stint in pro ball was not pretty. Out of high school, he was noted for having a big-time work ethic and big-time power, but his five years with the Rays organization were more notable for what he did off the field. Josh struggled with addiction and behavioral issues, and by the time the Rays cut him loose, he was more known for his suspensions than his baseball skills. As far as baseball goes, that really could have been the end of Josh's story. I actually looked for him when I started getting this podcast together and really couldn't find much, and then was shocked when I randomly looked at Atlantic League stats this year and saw his name leading the league in home runs. I reached out and we set this podcast up, but I really wasn't sure what I would get out of Josh. I could not have been more impressed. Josh, he's sober, he's in a committed relationship, he's a father, and he's very open and accountable about his past. It has been a long six years for him to get to this point, and it was rewarding to hear about his retrospective. We talk about that first run in pro ball, dealing with failure for the, really the first time in his life on the field and tons of struggles off of it. And his long road back, we talk about what his comeback means and, and how far he has to go to get to true redemption. It was as rewarding an episode of this podcast as we've done. To drop any sense of being neutral, I am very openly rooting for Josh on this comeback. Um, I'm hoping he gets one more shot in affiliated ball, but regardless, it is, um, it is quite remarkable to see where he was, especially if you give him a quick Google, it was not promising. And to to hear where he is now was was very rewarding for me. Hope everyone enjoys the episode. Uh, episodes are from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. BA just dropped the top 50 high schoolers and college players in the 2022 draft class. The minor league season is still rolling. Prospect Hot Sheet comes out every week. It is always a good time to be subscribed to both BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed. For featured guest information of this show, follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. And now let's talk to Josh Saleh. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he was a first-round pick of the Rays in 2010, currently an infielder and outfielder for the Gastonia Honey Hunters, Josh Saleh. Josh, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. No problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've been I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, we've had the interview scheduled for a couple of weeks. I want to, want to jump right into, well, for, actually, first things first, you were playing your first uh, professional season in six years. How, you know, how has that been just overall, you know, broad question? How does your body feel after six years out? What is, um, what's the experience been like? Um, being able to be back on the field is great. Um, it's a blessing. Uh, I, I cherish every moment of it, but, uh, my body as of right now feels really good, uh, to say that I'm not a little bit tired would, would be a stretch, but, um, for taking that much time off and, and kind of where I'm at midway through the season, I'm. I'm happy with where my body's at. It's letting me know what I need to do and what I probably shouldn't do. So um, being back after six years is fun, for sure. Well, it seems like the results have been, I, I would assume, close to what you've hoped for. At the time of recording, you're leading the Atlantic League in home runs, um, which is which is great to see. But let's go back to growing up, um, growing up in you know Washington State. How early did you know you had a future beyond high school in baseball? I knew that I had a future growing up. I, I played all, all sports um, and uh, I was kind of just God gifted me with the ability to be able to play sports 
uh, as hard as I could and a little bit better than everybody else around me. So um, once I devoted all my all my time and energy to to shooting to to play baseball and become as good as I could, um, it was probably somewhere around the end of my freshman year where I knew that uh, there was a good shot that I might be able to to do this for a while, um, whatever that entailed. So um, I'd say it was probably around. 15 years old. And how early did you start lifting? Cause I know you grew up the son of a power lifter. Uh, if anyone checks out your Instagram, it is clear that lifting is a very important part of your life. It is a very good way. If you haven't worked out in a while to feel bad about yourself, going to look at your Instagram, uh, you know, is a desire to lift something you can be taught or is that, is that also God given? Um, personally for me, it was something that I was always around. Um, and if it wasn't, if it was an off day in my house, there was people around me in my neighborhood that were, were doing the same thing I was. So, um, lifting for me is not only, not only a means to an end to be able to get me to my end goal of being as physically prepared as I can be on the field, but there's a, there's a therapeutic sense to it. Um, cause mind and body go hand in hand. And if, if I'm taking care of myself physically, my mental is has a better chance of of being on a higher plane than if I were not working out. So you get into your junior year of high school and you are sharing a lineup with Jake Lamb, who's a senior, Jake, you know, big big league all-star, eventual big league all-star. I mean, you've got scouts there probably a year early or two years early to see you. Um, there's a piece in ES, you know, on ESPN.com about you. What are the the pros and cons to getting that kind of attention at 17 as a junior? At the time, it was being able to share a field with Jake and, and some of the other guys that we had and kind of the, the, the steam that our team had at the time. Um, I didn't think that much of it, um, but looking back and, and kind of seeing some of my behaviors after the fact is um, I wish I would have taken it in stride and kind of understood it for what it was rather than than thinking everybody's there to see me, even though that's part of what they're there for. Um, they're, they're there to assess what they need to assess. Um, I think it, it's, a, it's a pressure that some people invite and there it's, it, it was something that I thought I was ready for at the time, which I, I think I was, I just, there was some off the field things that I was not ready for. In your draft scouting report and your stuff on um, on baseballamerica.com, you did get lauded for your work ethic. It got noted a lot in, in public pieces about you. Were there, you know, things you were doing off the field? Were there any, you know, signs in yourself that you might not have been quite as ready for pro ball as as scouts thought you were? Because, you know, getting popped with the 17th pick, there's that means consensus that this guy can do it in pro ball. Um, hindsight being 2020, I think that uh yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I, I hadn't quite figured out off the field uh, when it came to to uh, relationships, human interactions, stuff like that, knowing when and where to be. Um, and even if I did know when and where to be, not getting myself in trouble by knowing where I should be and being somewhere else. But in terms of, of the work ethic, it, even though I had those things going on I still always tried to bring my I tried to bring myself to that field every day but knowing now what I know doing those things on the side didn't allow me to bring my best self to the field every single day maybe for a certain amount of time it did but um, at a certain point when you're burning the candle at both ends you're gonna end up with nothing but a bunch of melted wax so the financial incentives for going pro are obvious. You know, it's it's rare that someone turns down first down first round money. A couple guys do it every year, but usually before the draft. How much about the draft for you was getting started as a pro, like wanting to be a professional baseball player versus just an offer you couldn't refuse? Like did you really want to do that or did you actually want to attend Gonzaga? For me being able to um use all of the hard work that I had put in all those years leading up to it and, and me not being the fondest of school, I, I wanted to get started on my pro career as soon as possible. And not only, not only be able to, to start facing 
the best competition possible, but there was a part of it where my family didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, my parents broke their backs to be able to put me in the school that they did and, and keep me in a good, uh, a good education system. So the money definitely did help me give back to my parents as soon as I signed my contract. So it, it, it was a little bit of both, but I wanted to get started on my pro career as soon as possible. How much of an idea did you have about what life in professional baseball is like? Just the lifestyle, the the routine, you know, what the minor leagues is like? Well, being being fortunate enough to be around a lot of guys in the baseball world at that time from the ages of from the age of about eight to to when I got drafted, there was guys that were at the facilities that I was going in and out of that that were in pro ball. They were, they were already in the minors or they were well on their way to going the D1 route and then, or the college route, let's just say the college route um, and, and getting their way into pro ball. So being around them and, and learning from them, I had an, an idea of what the game plan was for on the field, but I really didn't have any insight as to what it was like living situation wise and, kind of what it was like to be once you actually left the stadium. And what were your expectations for yourself when you signed? Did you put any sort of, you know, timeline on, you know, I'm getting to the big leagues by the time I'm 21, 22? What, you know, what did you think about yourself as far as advancing? Because you had, because, um, you know, you, again, you played against guys who had, who had gone pro and stuff like that. Did, you know, how did you think you stacked up? I thought I stacked up really well, but I also think I had unrealistic expectations of myself as an 18 year old. Um, I, I thought I, I, I can't ex exactly remember what I thought, but I was thinking coming out of high school, I was like, I'm going to try and be in the bigs in two years. Now, looking back at it realistically, that's, I should have, I would have had to blow all the doors down in the minors to be. It's a tall that. task. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was so the, looking back, there was some unrealistic expectation, but, um, the, the confidence in my own abilities still doesn't waver. Um, I, I still think I'm, I'm able to be an MLB, uh, player. That's, that's my goal. It always has been. So you have this long stretch between, uh, between competitive games, presumably your high school game. Your, your last high school game and then short season Princeton almost, you know, a year after you sign. I mean, I'm sure there's in instructs and all that stuff at the complex, but not really quite the same. How did you, you know, how did you spend that year? Because in the time between competitive games, you've, you know, you've signed, you've become a millionaire, you become a professional, you've foregone college, whereas a lot of your friends leave in the fall, go to school you're at instructs and then at home. How did you spend that first year prepping for, I guess, spring training? Uh, in terms of putting in the work to, to better myself as a baseball player, I doubled down on myself. Um, I, I grew up living in a cage. Um, so that, that was nothing new on that, but it was, it was finer details getting around guys that had big league service time and, and learning from them firsthand, trying to figure out what, what kind of routine needs to be set up, what, what pro ball is going to be like, um, how to go about getting my work done prior to getting down there. Um, unfortunately, also on the flip side, there was some of the stuff that I was doing off the field that uh, I come into a bunch of money and fresh out of high school. I, I was, I started burning the candle at both ends, like I said, and, and I, I party just as hard as I would train. And um, for, for a time there, it, it didn't seem like it was ever going to catch up with me. But that first year, I, in terms of getting myself ready, I, I threw everything I had into the gym, into the cage work, into figuring out how I can get better with speed and agility, stuff like that. So I, I remember as soon as I signed, we actually built a, I think it was about a 40-yard long sand pit and um would flip tires we'd jump over tires run sprints run shuttle runs stuff like that so that thing no longer exists but that was one of the ways we got better i i, I got exhausted just by hearing that that uh yeah. <laughs> um but you so you had to short season princeton for your first professional season 
And it's, I mean, it's a tough stat line in retrospect, probably not what you were hoping. Had you ever not performed well or failed at anything athletic wise in your life up to that point? Not to that magnitude. Um, not to having my expectations so high and then knowing I, I put myself in what I thought was the best position to, to produce and then getting there and realizing, okay, I, there's still a lot I have to learn. And it's, it's, I remember being in Princeton and remembering how my swing worked for me in high school. But when guys start throwing 82, 84 mile an hour sliders and they're throwing 96 potentially, uh, my swing from high school was not going to work. Granted, not everything was going to work, but the, the basic frame of it could have. But my timing was was definitely off. Um, I, I remember getting there and, and understanding that, OK, we're we're in pro ball now. I'm going to have to open my ears and and try and figure this out, which I did for a little bit of time. But then I got hard headed and thought I could do it on my own, which was not. And what was your structure kind of off the field like when you tried to get into pro ball with the living situation and the, the lifestyle of the long bus rides and the, you know, probably more free time than you had in, in high school? How did, you know, at that point, were you, at least in your first season, were you keeping things together or was there still, was there kind of some inklings of what would hurt your career later, you know, down the road? I think unbeknownst to everybody else, um, there was inklings that I was I was on a path of destruction, um, in all honesty. And um, but if it weren't for some of the guys on that on that Princeton team and some of the guys that really tried to give me a a, a check, they tried to check me to the without completely um, verbally undressing me. They uh, they did the best they could. Um, there was just a, it came a point where I'm not sure I was going to listen to anything, uh, which is how how um, kind of far off the deep end I was I was getting towards. But being able to spend time in the room consistently, it, it I wasn't ready. I don't say I wasn't ready. I just didn't have an understanding of how much time we would have. Um, you get away from the field, you got, you're at the field for eight hours a day, nine hours a day. If you get there and get your early work in and stuff like that, and the rest of the day is yours. So um, when I was, before things got pretty bad, I, I started, I would play video games. I'd sit and watch movies and we'd cut, cut each other's hair in the, in the hotel room. We'd try and find go play, places to go eat, stuff like that. But um, it was definitely something I wasn't used to. And then that first off season, you've had this tough season in Princeton. Um, you, you know, get back home wherever you spend your off seasons. What was, you know, it doesn't look like you're on your goal of two years, you know, two years to the big leagues. You'd have to have a banner second season. What, how did you feel about yourself after a year where, you know, you hit 210? um, life probably wasn't as, as ideal in the, in the minors as you thought it might've been, what did, how did you spend that off season and get ready for, for Bowling Green? Uh, what we, what we attacked as soon as I got back was we understood that the raw, the raw tools were still there, but my, everything needed to be changed. Um, and it, not, not like we need to throw out everything, but we, we got to reconstruct a lot of stuff. The first thing that we attacked was my timing and how, I actually went about attacking pitches so I could cover more of more pitch playing. Um, I, I, I didn't have to sit dead red 96 every time and sell out. Like there's get myself into a position where I can, I can at least give myself a chance if somebody decides to throw a two Oh breaking ball. Um, so as soon as we got back, it was, I think I took, if I remember correctly, when I got back from Princeton, I think I took off about two weeks and then immediately got straight back into the, into the gym, um, into the cage, trying to figure it out. And we completely reconstructed um, my swing, my tempo. Uh, I went from 
getting down super early with my front foot with a high with a high front heel to actually tap stepping um it was it was almost like a two-part swing it was like a load back and then load and separate going forward while trying to maintain um posture and and not not bailing not slamming into my front side stuff like that so it was it was a complete overhaul you put in all that work, you go to spring training, they hold you in extended, and then they send you out to Bowling Green. And at first, your first 19 games, you hit 375 tanks. Things are things are going well. And then there's a slide. What in your mind contributed to that? Was it the off the field getting to you? Was it still working on this new swing or these, you know, these new swing thoughts and you know, things just what what to you kind of made the difference in the you know, story of two seasons? I think what contributed to the to that was um, not being mentally prepared. I did everything physically on how to get better, but I was never back then. I didn't have a very good understanding of how to deal with failure, and that's still something that I try and understand better today. Um, but I didn't know how to deal with failure very well. So the way I dealt with it was I unfortunately decided to go off when I was off the field and and forget about whatever I was doing either incorrectly poorly uh not living up to my own expectations not living up to other people's expectations stuff like that and it it was a snowball effect that happened really quickly did you have anyone you felt like you could lean on like someone you could call when things were not going well you know or was there something that was kind of holding you back from reaching out to someone to be like I need help with the mental side of the game or I need help, you know, I'm struggling or was it a thing of, I just don't want to admit that things aren't going that well. Uh, I think it's the latter. I did not want to admit that things weren't going that well. And I also didn't want to admit that if I were going to have to talk to them about the mental side of it, they were going to ask me what I was doing off the field. And I didn't, I didn't want to let anybody know that. Um, whether it be because I was scared, ashamed of it, did you know at that time you had an actual like a problem or was it just did you think it was just something like I'm just not taking care of my business off the field? I used it as a coping mechanism. I didn't really know it was actually I didn't know it was a true problem until people brought it to my attention that you, this is a problem, um, which it, it, it took a while to get there. You catch the the suspension at the that ends your your season with Bowling Green um, for uh, a stimulant. So basically, you had this two year timeline of getting to the big leagues. Instead, that second year has ended suspended. Um, you know, tough season, more encouraging numbers, frankly, than your first season, but still, you know, a, a tough year. You you know, what is life like for a suspended minor leaguer, and what what is life like off the field when you go back home? you see your friends, you see your parents. What's that experience like going through? With foggy glasses on, um, it was, there was definitely some of my friend group that were, they weren't baseball players. They, they were just guys that I have known since I was a kid that said, Hey, you, you need to get it together. Um, you need to stop doing what you're doing and, and try and try and get back to what we know you, you can be. And these are guys who didn't even really come to baseball games when I was younger. Um, they were just trying to gently tell me, like, you need to stop doing what you're doing. And um, by the time I had gotten to that point, uh, like I said, it was a snowball effect and it picked up quickly. Uh, I didn't want to listen to anybody I thought I knew best. Um, so coming back home, there was, there was definitely some people who – now that I look back at the situation, how things kind of unfolded, they they were they were putting me at arm's length, trying to make sure that whatever I was doing was not coming into their life, whether they were baseball players or not. And um, it it became a little isolated, but that was my own doing. Like it, it wasn't because other people isolated me. Uh, I, I was responsible for isolating myself through my own actions. Was the physical work ethic still there? That structure of still getting to the cage, working on your body, was that still there? That was always there. It just was compounded by the fact that I would stay out until three, four in the morning doing God knows what and um, expect myself to be able to come in and give 125% the next day, 
which it may have felt like it at the time, but it was probably closer to like 85%. So your 2013 season is essentially a wash. You don't play at all. Um, you know, we're not no real point litigating why, um, you know, folks can Google it after that, after a season with no, no competitive games, no baseball, um, you've, it's a, it's a very public suspension. Um, it's a very public reason you're not playing. It's something that made, you know, actual news headlines beyond, you know, raised blogs. What is, how, how did you spend that year? Was there, was there effort from the organization to do anything to did the word intervention come up? Kind of what did you, how did you spend your year away from baseball? Uh, that word did come up and I didn't want to listen to it. Um, but I think I spent that year with a lot of self-loathing and self-destruction. I figured out that I had put myself in a corner and I was going to try and fight my way out which didn't end up working at all. It actually ended up showing me that where I needed to be was the word that was brought up. Um, and it, it took me, unfortunately, even longer to get to that eventual point. But uh, that year was very, uh, that year was lonely in terms of baseball. Um, Baseball was something that I did to try and get myself away from a lot of the stuff that I was setting myself up for. Uh, but at that point, that's where I knew that something might be off. Um, that, that might be the word intervention or having, having an actual problem might actually be realistic. Uh, and I hadn't figured that out yet, but it was definitely starting to creep into my own mind. And if it was there at that point, it was, it was most likely true. How did you feel about the actual sport of baseball at that point? Were you still, you know, excited to play, wanting to play? Were you still hopeful? Was it still something you enjoyed? Baseball has always been something that I've enjoyed. It's always brought something to my life that not a whole lot else can because there's been so much invested. Um, and it's it's brought me a sense of, of purpose, um, whether I'm coaching or playing. Um, but at that time it was, it was losing. I, I couldn't quite see the horizon despite the trees. Um, it was really hard to see where my goal was, even though I was still doing everything, working towards it, if that makes sense. So 2014, you get, you get back in baseball, you're back in, you know, you're in high A what is, what was your mental state at that point when you're showing up to the ballpark? Do you, are you mentally all there or is, has your off the field bled into on the field? Uh, my off the field had bled in to on the field, but I was trying to make sure not to, I was walking on eggshells that I had thrown on the ground that I myself had laid out for myself. And it, it was, it was difficult, but it was also something I know that I, I had to go through. I set myself up for it. And the structure that the Rays had that I, I thought was, um, I thought was unnecessary at the time, looking back on it, the structure that they had and the way they had things regimented was something that I needed. Otherwise I, I God knows where I'd be. Um, what was that structure? If I can ask. The structure of, of actually, like, without, uh, without sounding harsh or, or this isn't a knock on them, um, the, the way they had it set up was like a boot camp. Like, you're going to wear this. This is what you're allowed to wear. Um, that facial hair, you can, you can get rid of that unless it's a mustache. Your hair has to be this length. And you're going to be here at this time doing this with this person, so on and so forth. And being a young kid out of high school with no real sense of, of what time I got to be somewhere to do this, to do that. Um, that structure saved me in a sense for actually understanding and seeing guys being successful and productive using that formula. Um, and I actually just had a conversation with one of my best buddies about this two nights ago, who was, who was also in the Rays organization. Um, and he, we agreed upon that, 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 
that structure was helpful at the time. And if it hadn't been for that, I, I'd been lost. That last season in Charlotte, were there still, did you still have moments on the field where you were like, you know, like you get a big knock or something, or you, you know, you hit a home run. Is there where you think like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to do this. Like I'm going to snap out of this. Yes, there, there were. Um, I, I remember a couple defensive plays where I, I thought I may have, have lost a step or two that I, I came through on that. I, it showed me that I was still able to do what I can on the side of the ball that I wasn't particularly drafted for. And then coming on the offensive side, even though it was, it was sparse and it was hit or miss, no pun intended. It was, there was times where I'd get a hit or there was slight stretches where it was like, okay, I can still do this. Like I'm, I'm not completely out of it, but um, once that, once this little piece of off the field structure that I tried to set up for myself eventually gave way, uh, 2014, as we know, it went the same way as the other three years. So when did you know that suspension was coming down? Cause sometimes the, you get word before you actually, it actually gets implemented. Uh, before the actual paperwork came through, I had a pretty good idea if my timeline's correct, I'm guessing somewhere around three and a half weeks before I got suspended. Did you, when you took the test, did you think in your mind, like why you were taking it, like this might be it? Yeah. And I, did, I, there's nothing I could do about it because everything I could have done bef before it, I didn't do. Um, I had set myself up for failure yet again. And that's, that's where I was like, you know what? At some point, this is going to come through. Um, I might as well try and make the most of however long it is before the, the final word comes down. You get suspended and then you get released right at the beginning of spring training in 2015. What was, what was the conversation when you, when you got released? Cause it's not your typical, it wasn't your normal guy just, you know, doesn't have it. Uh, you know, not, not playing well. We need to free up a roster spot. Was there, was there anything different about that conversation? The main focus of that conversation is baseball should not be your number one priority right now. You need to get yourself right and have a conversation with God or whoever you talk to, whoever you find solace in, you need, you need to have a conversation with them and figure out how you're going to be able to go through life. And they, they said, unfortunately, we have to release you, but you need to, you need to figure out how to take care of yourself or it's going to be a long road. And how did you react to hearing that? By that time, I was pretty re resigned to the fact that, yeah, you're right. Um, but I, I still wasn't 100% ready to listen. I, being stubborn is an understatement on that one. There was, there was anger. There was, there was, it wasn't anger with, the organization, it was angry with myself because at that point, especially when I got the call for my release, I was in a position where I couldn't stop doing something if you paid me. Um, I couldn't I couldn't help myself out of wet paper bag if you gave me a whole roll of paper towels. I it was it was bad. And I I accepted it, hung up the phone, and went about it as if nothing had happened what what was your game plan from there did you have any how long did it take you to find a direction to say i'm going to do something different how long did it take me to find a direction until gosh if i'm being 100 percent honest it's going to be somewhere around the end uh, the summer of 2019 that's that's where I found my understanding of the fact that if I'm going to have any chance at being able to let's forget baseball for a second. If I'm having if I'm going to have any chance at being able to maintain the relationship that I'm in, if I'm going to have any chance at being able to be there for my son, and if there's any chance that I'm going to be able to right some wrongs with with mainly my parents. Um, through all that I did, it, 
I'm going to have to do something drastic. And it, it was then where it was like, you know what, I, I had, I had put in some work prior to the summer of 2019 to, to try and better myself. But it, I was actually in a, was in a program where I didn't have a whole lot of control. Um, I was being told to do what I needed to do. And um, by the time the summer 2019 rolled around, I was fed up with continuously not holding up my end of the bargain. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm being corrected right now. My, my girlfriend's in the other room. She said it was 2018. I was about to ask a question about her, so that's good timing. Okay. Um, yeah, so it was about the summer of 2018. Uh, my time, I can get my timelines jumbled, but um, there was a period there where there was a really short window and I had to either take it or not. And I, and I decided to, to take that. So I was, I was looking at your Instagram earlier, as I said, um, and it's mostly just, just workout videos. Um, just mostly there to make me feel terrible. But, um, there's a, a post about, about your girlfriend. Um, that, you know, there's the a few about your girlfriend, your son, but there's one where, um, you talk, it's, it's basically kind of a two part thing. You talk about the stuff that she's been through you with. And I want to talk about the first part of that. Um, mm -hmm. parenting job or no job, self-deprecation addiction, you know, that, that period after baseball in between when, when you kind of found yourself, um, having someone to, when you look at now, when I'm sure it's something you fight every day, but when you look, when a lot of that is in the rear view, what does the fact that you still have people that can stand by you, what does that kind of mean to you and how, just the kind of retrospective on that period of having uh, you know, mother of your son, someone stand by you like that. Um, it means everything um, at the, at the cost of potentially getting emotional on this phone call at the moment. It means, it means everything. Um, I can tell you right now, I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that woman sitting in the other room. And that little guy sitting on his iPad right now, so we can have this phone call. Yeah, the tablet is the best babysitter. <laughs> um, but it it gave me something to immediately see whether or not I had any belief in myself or not, in terms of whether or not I could get things done on a day-to-day -day basis, it gave me an immediate goal that, okay, I can be there for that and I can be there for that. Am I going to do it or am I not? And either I, either, either I get out of my own way and I do it, or I can sit here and make up every excuse and everybody can know that I'm just spewing a whole bunch of BS. Whose idea was it to make a comeback? Who was the first person to, to say, you should look at baseball again, or was it you? To be honest, I think it was actually some of the guys that I was working with um, at the time. I, I was working at a baseball facility, and I knew I, I knew I still had something in the tank. I just didn't know how the baseball world would receive me, to be honest with you. But I, I would go in and I'd hit during 2017, end of 2017, early 2018, and I was working and I, I'd take random BP with, with some of the guys who were still in pro ball that I had known since I was eight. Um, and they were like, dude, you, you should look into playing. And I was like, I am in no shape to play right now. Like I could still swing the bat. Um, God willing, I've always been able to do that. Thank you to him for that. But it, uh, I was physically, I wasn't ready. I, I hadn't done anything. There was a period there where I didn't pick up a bat or touch a ball for three years uh, just because I, I didn't uh, – two and a half, almost three. And I once I once I had my discussion with, with my girlfriend, the, the mother of my son, I was like, look, I think I can do this. It came down to, well, either you're going to do it or you're not. And this isn't like you're going to go – go in at 90% and have some kind of reserve on the back. Um, we've, we've thrown everything that we've had for the last four, 
four, almost four and a half years at into where I'm at right now. Um, and she's, <laughs> she's been on me. Um, if I, if I slip anywhere, if I, if I do anything diet wise that I shouldn't be doing, if I don't do anything sleep wise that I should be doing, it's, it's brought to my attention and it's, it's easy. It helps me to understand that, okay, I can, I can still do this, but I, I have to mind my P's and Q's on literally every page that I turn. Um, I have to do everything right. And, um, and if I, maybe not right, I have to do everything to the best of my ability. I have to control what I can control and everything else is going to, is going to be what it is. You're not the the first athlete to make a comeback from personal issues, from demons, anything like that. You know, we see there's a lot of athletes who say they're going to do it, doesn't happen. Um, and I, I'm sure they have to convince themselves, convince their personal circle, and then eventually convince evaluators. But you mentioned having to, to make amends, make things right with your parents. What was the first conversation with them like about, hey, I'm... I feel good enough to make another run at this after what your first round of professional baseball had been like. I'm being a hundred percent honest. And I remember correctly, they were in favor of me getting a regular job. They were in favor of me trying to figure out how I could uh, bolster my earning potential to be able to provide for my family. Um, and I, I told them, I told them, I, I hear where you're coming from. I understand that, but I have to do this. And I don't think it was the fact that they didn't think I could do it. I had just shown them repeatedly through my off the field actions that um, there, there could be something that might sneak up and do it again, um, which is a real life thing every day. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, but um, after, after putting in the work and, and, and doing literally everything I could possibly think of to better myself, to get into this position, and then going to a tryout in, in August, 2020 and, and posting stuff on Instagram and, and stuff like that. My, my parents came around and were like, okay, if you're going to do this, you better do it like there's no tomorrow. And, um, that's, that's what I still try to do. So that there, the blessing that I was able to have was after everything that went down after getting released, they were actually able to come out and be here for the first half of the season. They're both retired. They were able to travel around and watch me play professional baseball again. They're, they're extremely happy. And I think it, uh, coming from them, they're, they're, they're happy with where I'm at and just happy that I'm not doing what I was doing. So you, you make this comeback, you get picked up, uh, by Gaston, you're playing the Atlantic league, your first game, like first, first game of the season, first game you played in, what was walk me through the experience, like being in the locker room, putting on the Jersey, taking BP, the Anthem. What was after what, six years? Yeah, it was therapy to be honest. Uh, I, we, we talk about a lot, me and my girlfriend, it's, uh, it was, it was surreal, but it was also very real, if that makes sense. Um, not only that, but it was like, holy crap, I'm in my right mind and I can take in all of this right now. Like I'm able to take this in 100% and not have something happen and be like, is that actually what's happening? Um, this, it was, it was a blessing. And it, I remember, I remember actually praying when I, uh, God, I remember just being really grateful for where I was at. That's, uh, yeah, I'm extremely grateful for where I'm at. And how long did it take you to feel like actually comfortable with the plate? I remember my freshman year, college, I went to college to pitch summer ball after my freshman year, I talked to the coach into, into letting me, you know, play the field as well. And I remember my first month of at bats, it looked like everyone was throwing 147 miles an hour. 
what was for you getting, especially considering your last go at pro ball had been, had been difficult. What was it like, you know, you've, you've gotten to the point where you're now healthy enough mentally to play. What was actually getting in the the physical swing of things? I remember, I think I actually led off this year for like an 0 for 13 skid. Um, (laughs) Were there there alarm bells going off in your head? Like, oh my. Yeah. 100%. Not going to lie. But I remember, I remember taking some look at, at some film and and talking to some of the guys on the team. And they're like, dude, you look like you're trying to hit a ball 650 feet you look like you're trying to take the cover off of the ball. And if I remembered back at times, even though they weren't the best of times, but when I was doing well prior to this season, it's almost as if I had to think about not trying to hit the crap out of the ball. It was like, just, just touch it. It's like, just think about just touching it. That's it. And, and calm down. Don't press. Um, and once I started doing that, there, a couple started falling. My timing was better. Um, and uh, things eventually started to, I started getting my feet under me, um, literally and, and figuratively. So it, being able to get back into it, it was like, okay, as long as I take care of what I can take care of and I'm on time, I have a chance. Well, as I said, when we started, you're at time of recording. It's the middle of August. You're leading the Atlantic League in home runs. You've, you know, you've certainly figured something out at the plate. Um, the, the second half of that Instagram post that you had made about your girlfriend that I referenced earlier, the second half after it's, you know, getting through this, this tough point in your life, uh, it says she's been with you through recovery, sobriety, the vision, the road to redemption, the comeback, what is the road to redemption for you? What in your mind is, have you, you know, have you redeemed yourself? Is this the comeback? What is, or is there something more you're striving for? I think the road to redemption is what we're on right now. Um, it's not over. Um, my goal is to still play major league baseball. My goal is to still be uh, sober so I can take care of her and I can take care of him. Like it's not the road to redemption. Isn't just baseball. The road to redemption is making sure that I do everything in my power to the best of my ability every single day. So I can be my best self for whoever I come in contact with. Does that mean I'm going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm going to try my damnedest to at least, at least be of a positive influence. And if I'm having an off day, then I need to go say sorry to that person the next day. Um, but being able to redeem myself from, from the way that I was living prior to figuring out that that's not what I need to be doing, to be able to show my, ooh, <clears throat> to be able to show my son that, to be able to show my son that um, even though failure happens, you got to figure out how to get up. There was a um, there was a Tampa Bay Times article right after you got released that said um, the writer said the Rays were right to move on from Josh Saleh. Why would a team now be right to take a chance on Josh Saleh? Because I'm going to do everything that they ask of me. I'm going to do everything that I know that I need to do to make sure that I bring myself properly to the field every day and and conduct myself in ways off the field that are not only going to be conducive to me on the field but safe safe and appropriate for those off the field um there there's no as of right now today at at 9 21 p.m in gastonia north carolina they do not have to worry about me going out and doing something erratic. They don't have to worry about getting a call saying, hey, Josh Saleh's out here handcuffed, detained because of his behavior and he's intoxicated. Um, Now, is that, if somebody wants to take a chance, I would be unbelievably grateful. Um, But I can't control that either. 
so what I'm going to do is make sure that I do everything that I can, that if, if, and when they do want to take a chance, they're going to be getting exactly what I'm telling them what they're getting. Awesome. I've got a little rapid fire for you. Something a little lighter and then I'll let you get out of here. All right. Best pitcher you ever faced. Best pitcher that I ever faced. Ooh. Um, best pitcher I ever faced. Did I face? I think I may have faced Cole. To be honest with you, my memory's not very good from back then. But, oh, whoa, whoa. No, I'll take that back right now. Best pitcher that I ever faced was I got a chance to be in, I believe, a big league game down in spring training. And I got to face off against David Price. Oof. That's a near lefty. Go that. That's a tough AB. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one right there. I hope my I hope my memory is accurate on that one. Do you have a favorite home run in your in your life in your career? Huh. A favorite home run? Amateur ball, pro ball, doesn't matter. Not not really. I can't put my finger on it right now. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe it's yet to come. It's the next one. Yeah. Do you have this? The question that everyone on this podcast played minor league baseball gets. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story? Oh. I remember traveling from, I remember traveling from, we were in Bowling Green and we had to travel somewhere here in the Carolinas. It was something like a 14 hour bus ride. And somebody decided to uh, relieve themselves on the bus in a way that you're not supposed to do on the bus. That's a cardinal rule. Yeah. It's like once, like once you're in there, you might as well just stay in there. So, um, I think that I, I think that's gotta be it. That's a, that's an absolute nightmare zone. Josh Sully, that's all I've got for you. I am, I'm rooting for you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your season and good luck in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And that's it for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm. A huge thanks to Josh Saleh for coming on the podcast and sharing his story. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. And also make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all amateur baseball and prospect news. From Phenom to the Farm comes at you every other Tuesday, so we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.